Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. There's Abreu massacres this ball to left center field. Donna goes in motion left. Snap it to Michelle. He's running to the left. Angling 25-20. Got a block for Brock. 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, touchdown, touchdown. Don't win it. We're headed to Atlanta. Trubisky's going to run it. And he is going to get a first down. How about Trubisky to the 42-yard line? Oh, my goodness. In the ring. Steamboat's got him up. A slam. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Good evening and welcome on in to Under the Hood. I am not Jonathan Hood. I am Jeff Meller filling in for Hoodie this evening. Happy May to you as it is May 1st today. Away with April and the rainy weather that we've had over the past few days. Maybe in store for a few more here, but... Hopefully, now that we are in May, we will finally get some warm weather here in Chicago that we so desperately want. I, of course, am broadcasting live from the first Midwest Bank studio here on ESPN 1000. Hanging out with you tonight. If you'd like to give us a call, 312-332-3776, or feel free to tweet at me. I'm at Jeff underscore Meller. That's M-E-L-L-E-R. I've got Eric Ostrowski and Felix Reyes hanging out behind the glass with me as well. And tonight, I want to begin by talking about the Chicago Bears and the NFL Draft. Because we are a few days removed now, and we've had a little bit of time to dissect it. Actually, I'm sure if you're a Bears fan, you've had more than a little bit of time. You've probably poured over what the Bears have done. And of course, in this year's draft, the big move that Ryan Pace made was by trading up from the 87th pick moving up to to select David Montgomery of Iowa State. And while he is a third-round running back, he is being treated as if he's a first-rounder this year because the Khalil Mack trade took away the Bears' first-round pick. And every Bears fan would gladly make that deal 10 times over if they had the opportunity to do so. So, David Montgomery fills the running back void that Matt Nagy's offense seemed to be lacking last season. They relied on Jordan Howard, but he was not the running back mold that Matt Nagy likes to work with. And this all starts with Ryan Pace and the approach he took. He was asked, this is before the draft. This is is the soundbite I'm about to play for you is Ryan Pace discussing pre-NFL draft, what's known as the Liars press conference because GMs basically go out and do anything they can to avoid revealing what their actual intentions are for draft night. So in the Liars press conference, Ryan Pace, I do believe, gave a, a sliver of truth when he was asked... Do you feel less pressure now coming off a 
twelve and four season. The pressure feels the same to me. Like I feel like I feel like with fewer picks and with later picks, the onus is on us as scouts to hit on these picks, you know, and to keep this momentum. We I feel like we have this momentum to keep this momentum going. Is we need to nail this draft, you know, like like, and uh, so I feel the pressure is the same. Again, Ryan Pace just a little less than a week ago prior to the NFL draft discussing the fact that he still feels the pressure, which I think is a GM being forthright there. Ryan Pace telling the folks, yeah, look, the window is open now, and because they did not have a first-round pick, the pressure is just the same as having a top-ten pick. Look, when you have a top-ten pick, you feel the angst that comes with knowing that you need to hit on it. And... The Bears know that they have less holes than they've had in the past, but they also realize that in the not-for-long league, the holes that they do have need to be filled if they want to raise the Lombardi Trophy next season. So, Ryan Pace does what Ryan Pace has showed us Ryan Pace likes to do. He admitted that he did not have the draft capital in all likelihood to move up to a first-round pick. He admitted that in the Liars press conference. But he did not avoid trading future draft capital for to move up for a running back that he coveted. Now, the question I ask you, the listener, is... Is Bears GM Ryan Pace's draft approach foolish or brilliant? Because here's the thing. I completely understand when a GM sees a quarterback that he wants in the first round. A quarterback that he has deemed his franchise quarterback. And when you're sitting at three and the guy you want is thought to be the best quarterback on the board at that time by most scouts, which Mitchell Trubisky was, don't forget, widely regarded as the best quarterback, the best quarterback prospect in that draft in 2017 when he was taken. I know we all know that Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson have shifted that discussion, but at the time, most people thought Trubisky was the best pro prospect. Of course, Lots of people loved what Watson proved in college, having beaten Alabama in the national title game and proven that he was a true leader. And there were plenty of people who were salivating at the arm talent of Pat Mahomes. But again, most people believed that Trubisky was probably the best draft prospect in that draft. Now, I understood when Ryan Pace was sitting there at three, And he knew that in all likelihood, if he could land Trubisky, who he deemed his franchise quarterback, then his tenure as Bears GM would be set going forward. I understand in that moment, not knowing what 31 other teams have, what their thought process are. I understand going ahead and giving up a little bit of extra draft picks to ensure that you get the franchise quarterback. I also understand it when 
you have the sneaking suspicion in the 2016 draft that Leonard Floyd, an edge pass rusher, who you believe can be a double-digit sack guy, is on the board and you want to move up because you're hearing rumors that a team like the New York Giants covet him as well. I understand that in the first round. However, when you get to the third round in 2019 and there is, if there's one position across football that I think most people would agree at this point is fairly interchangeable. Now, that's not to say that just anybody can be plugged in, but the reality is you can find running backs. You can find them all over the place. You can find them in the fourth round, the fifth round, the sixth round, street free agents. They're all available. And all you need to do is play fantasy football to realize this. Because you can, you'll know that you're going to hit the waiver wire week in and week out and find a guy who can lead you to a fantasy football championship, a guy who was not drafted in the first round. Those guys are plug and play. So, again, I understand the scouts that loves what David Montgomery brings, but the running back position, there were other guys on the board who, I don't know who they are, but there are guys available, there are running backs available who... In all likelihood, will be better than David Montgomery. Now, now, that's not to say that David Montgomery won't be the second, third best running back in this draft. But just playing the odds, any one of those running backs out there could be better than David Montgomery. Any one of those guys that are drafted in this year's draft. Now, the other thing is David Montgomery easily could have slipped to Ryan Pace and the Bears at 87. Look, I know he was in the cloud and they wanted to ensure that when Miles Sanders went off the board, they wanted to ensure that they got one of the running backs in their cloud. But again, this 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 is where you have to wonder the when GMs across football, the GMs who are willing to trade future picks to move up a few picks, the overconfidence in their scouting ability Occasionally gets them in trouble. Look, I'm not going to deny that Ryan Pace has had some excellent hits. Some excellent late round hits. Eddie Jackson, Tariq Cohen, both pro bowlers. Those were good finds. Hey, Jordan Howard, that's a running back he found in the fifth round. Uh, Adrian Amos, fifth rounder. Bilal, Bilal Nichols, fifth rounder last year. Looks like he can play. Here's the thing. For all the guys that GM hits on, there's plenty of guys. There's plenty of DeAndre Houston Carsons, DeAndre Halls, uh, Tyo Fabeluge, uh, Jeremy Lankford, Jaronis Grasso. For all the guys that you think you're hitting on, there's just as many that you're not. And the reality is that I'm not saying Ryan Pace hasn't found a winner in David Montgomery. I'm just questioning when it's the third round and it's a position that has shown to be fungible across the NFL, I'm questioning why he found the need to do so this year in the third round. And it's certainly, again, Montgomery might be a great player. He may work out. But this is a situation where, when you look at a team like the Patriots, time and time again, more than willing to trade 
their pick for your future picks, you got to wonder why a team like the Patriots has won six Super Bowls and appeared in nine. Look, I know Tom Brady's great, but part of the reason is Bill Belichick, who knows he's not going to hit on every draft pick. Bill Belichick understands that, you know what? If I give myself as many opportunities as possible to hit on these draft picks, I feel like I'll find one, one and two, one and three. And the more draft picks I have, the more opportunities I have to get it right. Ryan Pace was on after the draft with Cap and Cap and Company explaining his decision to trade up for David Montgomery. When you're picking in the top 10, it's, it's pretty easy to define. These are the group of players we're talking about. When you're picking 87, that pool of players is obviously way bigger. So we were comfortable with, with a lot of different guys. Um, and then it was more, okay, these are the guys that we'd want to go up for if they're within reach. Uh, this is where we'll just stand pat, and this is a situation where we'll, we'll, we will go back. And uh, the way the draft unfolded, um, it just worked out in a way where, hey, this is a guy we want to go up for, and uh, you know, we, we always say no regrets. Uh, let's get our guy, and everybody in the draft room was excited. It's a guy that the, the coaches and the scouts all had consensus on, so it was kind of a, kind of a no-brainer for us once he was within, within reach. Look, again, it all sounds good before David Montgomery has ever suited up for the Bears. And again, I, I like what I've seen from him. I'm, I, I love all the stories we're hearing about the character that David Montgomery brings. I'm not saying he's not going to be a good pick. I just question the process. And if you've listened to me over the years, you know I'm a process guy. And we may look back and say, boy, Ryan Pace knocked that 2019 draft out of the park. But the reason we might be saying that is because he hit on Riley Ridley and Duke Shelley and maybe a Steven Denmark. Maybe those are the reasons that we're saying 2019 was an excellent draft for Ryan Pace. Impossible to say today. But what I can tell you is that Ryan Pace gave up extra draft equity, which he's been in the habit of doing. Now, I, now the question I ask you is, is this brilliant? The reason I I say, you know what, as much guff as I'm giving pace about this right now, I can also admit that if Ryan Pace is working under the philosophy, look, I'm the Bears GM today in 2019, and I know that if things go sideways, I'm on my second NFL head coach, and if for whatever reason things go poorly next year, uh, I could be on the hot seat a lot quicker than anybody realizes because this is the NFL and that's just the way things work in this league. If Ryan Pace is using his general man- manager tenure with the Bears kind of the way a kid in college would when they get a credit card and saying, you know what? Who knows? Who knows? Tomorrow's promise to no one. Let's go ahead and let's go ahead and purchase this brand new wardrobe because you know what? I'm not worried about it today. I'll get, I'll look good. I'll I'll look good tomorrow and I'll worry about the debt when the time comes. And you know what? If that's Ryan Pace's approach, realizing that he may never have to pay off the interest rates because he won't be here. 
then I'll tell you what, that's brilliant for him. Now, it may not be the greatest for the Bears franchise, but when the Bears are 12-4, and I think a lot of people look at him and are giving him accolades and saying, I'll trust Ryan Pace because of what he did. He's been bold. He went out and landed Khalil Mack, and I don't think anybody can tell you that they wouldn't do that over and over again. Uh, Sloan Analytics Conference be damned, even though they're handing out awards to John Gruden for making the best deal uh, in in pro sports because of the draft picks he he uh, he obtained in that deal. I think we all uh, in Chicago would beg to differ. But I just wonder, is, from as I assess it, I don't love trading extra picks to move up in the third round for a running back, a fungible position across football. Let's uh, head on out to the phone lines. Let's try Trucker Jim in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Trucker, what's going on? Hey, can't give you the horn today because everybody's sleeping around me. But I wish you guys could go back because after Pace's first year, before his second year, Cap or Carmer Yurko or Waddler Sylvie, somebody on the station had him on. And, you know, he went through a lot of the GM speak, but he became real passionate for like a 15-second block where he was upset at himself for not maybe being a GM long enough to do whatever he had to do to get once or got. And that, like, ate at him. And ever since then, he has done whatever the hell he has had to do to move up right or wrong for a player he wanted because he never wanted to lose somebody he believed in that much. He got a lot of grief for moving up one spot for Mitch. But as as long as he's driving this bus, And he's doing it his way because everybody forgets, like, okay, he made the trade to Philly. He didn't get a draft pick this year. Mm -hmm. Well, I wouldn't want a Philly draft pick this year. I think next year they're not going to be as good, even though it's Mm -hmm. the fifth round. It might be five spots better. And he's got that gold chip next year because the Raiders are going to be 33rd, 34th, 35th pick next year, which is basically giving you another number one draft pick and a little less money. I, Whether he succeeds or fails, and right now, him succeeding went from just getting in the playoffs to him going to the Super Bowl. That's how much we have advanced in two, three years. No, it's, and I'm all good with it, brother, because it's not what happened. It's the ride he's putting us on. <laughs> no, it, you know what, Trucker Jim? It is a fun ride to be on. It, it was a great ride all of last year. And the Trubisky question is interesting because Trubisky enters his third year now. And this is the season we're going to need to see. Look, last year was was good. If you want to come out here and tell me he made the Pro Bowl as an alternate... Um, and so that validates everything. Well, I'm going to I'm going to disagree. 
Trubisky has shown that he can operate in Matt Nagy's offense. And he made some nice throws to set up the Bears in a situation where they had an opportunity to kick a game-winning field goal at home in the playoffs. But he also missed plenty of throws throughout that game that could have put them up on the Eagles and not having to rely on a suspect kicker who they knew was suspect all season long. So the Trubisky question is going to ratchet things up and it's going to do so with quite a bit of intensity because here's the thing. If Trubisky is middling and not great next year, it is going to be a very difficult position because I don't think there's too many scenarios that play out that have Ryan Pace walking away from Mitchell Trubisky after his fifth year. They're going to pick up that fifth year option. That's almost without question. And by the way, speaking of fifth year options, the Bears did exercise Leonard Floyd's fifth year ox, uh, option, which is no surprise because he uh, he was also a highly uh, drafted edge rusher and he was always in all, in all likelihood going to be here for the full five years because the Bears it makes sense for Ryan Pace to pick up his option just like it will with Trubisky. The question becomes will they work on that long term deal with Mitchell Trubisky if he has a middling season? If he you know if if he just gives the Bears what he did last year or if there's even a little bit of slippage from where he was will the Bears want to extend themselves and begin talking long-term extension I think they will I think they like him the problem is can you just because you like a guy and what he what he is if he doesn't give you enough on the field can you con- can you go down that road and give him big money and a long-term extension, and count on him to still win games. That that can be problematic because a long-term extension at big money with Mitchell Trubisky, if he's not a franchise quarterback, could cost you some of your defensive parts. And again, that could be very problematic in the future. I'm Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood. We will continue talking football with Eric Edholm at 8 o'clock. But coming up next, it's not just... The trading up for David Montgomery. It's the fact that the Bears still haven't solved their kicker issue. The Bears' second leading scorer weighs in next on ESPN 1000. Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood on Under the Hood here on ESPN 1000. Our Cubs beat reporter by day. He's uh, moonlighting as, as a fishmonger out in Seattle. Let's talk with Jesse Rogers for a Cubs update. All right, it's 9 nothing Cubs. Who says they give away getaway games, huh? Who says that? 9 nothing in the six. Cubs with a six-run second inning to blow this game open. They sent 12 men to the plate. Javi Baez was two for two in the second inning alone. Home run and a double in that inning. Wilson Contreras has gone deep. Rizzo has gone deep as well. Cubs walked a couple times with the bases loaded in that second inning. And meanwhile, John Lester is on the mound with a one-hitter going. He pitched around a 
uh, error to lead off the game for the Mariners, but uh, against the Cubs, David Bodie booted a ball. But since then, he's uh, pitched around everything, just given up one hit and uh, obviously staked to a huge lead. He's been able to be uh, put it on cruise control so far. So, again, three home runs in this game, all sorts of good numbers from Cubs hitters, especially three through nine in the order. Almora 0 for 4. One no, Chris Bryant was pinch hit for after the game was out of hand. We'll find out if that's something serious. He was nursing a leg injury yesterday, and that's why he's DHing today again. But anyway, he's out of the game. Cubs leading 9 nothing in the sixth. Back to you. You're listening to my mans and them, Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Hoodie off tonight. I'm Jeff Meller filling in, and uh, we've been talking a lot of Bears here early on, discussing Ryan Pace's draft strategy. The idea that, uh, look, when he has uh, an itch that he needs to scratch, when there's a player on the board, he's starting to get a little bit nervous because his pick's coming up soon, but not soon enough. The propensity to go ahead and trade some of next year's assets so that he can get up into the draft and take the guy he wants. Sometimes that guy is David Montgomery. Uh, Matt Nagy was asked if uh, David Montgomery could be his version of Kareem Hunt here in Chicago. Yeah, there are some similarities for sure. Uh, You look at them and the, the size of them, uh, you see how they run between the tackles. They're physical. They, they, they run angry, both of them. And, and I think uh, the other connection is probably just, you know, with the, the, the background of the coaches that they both had, too. That, that's a, an easy tie there. But uh, he's going to be his own person. I think that's the, the, the best part about David is the fact that the amount of talks that we have with him, you get to dig into who he is, and he's, he's going to be David Montgomery, nobody else. And I think that's really important. We love that about him, and I'm excited to see really where it goes. Of course, uh, Ryan Pace discussing the similarities between David Montgomery and Kareem Hunt. So... Uh, let's head on out to Orland Park and check in with Harding, who wants to weigh in on Ryan Pace's approach. Good evening, Hardy. Hey, what's going on, guys? Um, so listen, as a fan, like a true fan, the only thing you really look for an executive is somebody that's not scared to approach and execute, right? Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, Ryan Pace, to me, has built quite a bit of equity over the last few years on how he's approached the draft and what he did from a trade aspect. Because as a Bulls fan... If we're looking at Gar and Pax in the front office and they figured out a way to do a sign-and-trade for a Kawhi Leonard or a Kevin Durant, everything that they've messed up in the past would initially be erased and we'd say, oh, we're starting at ground zero again. We'll let you guys have some time to figure it out because you made that move. And I feel like for Ryan Pace, mm-hmm. the Khalil Mack trade was that. Like, whatever happened prior to that situation, and trust me, I called Cap, called Carmen and Yurko, all of them, I was killing Ryan Pace for the Trubisky uh, pick and the trade-up because I figured, why give it up if, if you could get Watson or Mahomes after you know if Trubisky got off the board, you know you still would be good. And, and it, the future shows that, yeah, you still would end up with a good quarterback. But at the end of the day, as an executive and as a fan, you want your executive to just go get it. You know, you play every year as every year counts as this year because next year's not guaranteed. So if you have that approach from an executive on your team, you feel good of the direction. You feel like you're in good hands. Harding, Don't get look, it, the, there's points you bring up there, Harding, which I wholeheartedly agree with. 
The but again, it that's more in the terms of when you're dealing with first round picks. My 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 biggest quibble again is that mm-hmm. fact that I find running back a bit of a fungible parts in the NFL. You can find them, and I understand like it, there's an overconfidence with every GM across football. You always think you've uncovered the next great whatever. What we see though is time and time again, even the best GMs hit at less than fifty percent. It does it, it look? It doesn't mean you can't be successful uh, hitting at less than fifty percent. The reality is though, you don't know which guy you think is the next guy is going to be of your pool of draft players. So when it's the third round now at this point, you like I wonder because you mentioned Khalil Mack. I'm with you. It was great to see him go ahead and and swing for the fences there. Give up two first rounders. For Khalil Mack. I do, though, wonder, because I brought this up at the time, the day after the Khalil Mack trade. I, the moment he drafted Mitchell Trubisky, I full-heartedly believed that Ryan Pace's future was always married to Mitchell Trubisky. However, shrewdly, I think, Harding, what he did by making the Khalil Mack trade is actually give himself extra outs that may not have been available had he not swung for the fences the way he did. Because by making the Khalil Mack trade, like you said, he's built up and earned a little bit of extra equity with the fan base. But he still did draft Mitchell Trubisky ahead of Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson. And I, like I, a lot of people like to throw out the, the, uh, the resume that, look, Trubisky's a pro bowler, he was an alternate pro bowler. I need to see more than just, okay, you know, there's plenty of throws out on the field that he did not make that still leave me wondering if Trubisky is a true franchise quarterback. No, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you for on Trubisky. Um, the pro bowler, like, no, he, to me, he's not a pro bowler. Like, I'm going to be honest with he you. He played like, in the pro bowl. Let's, let's say he played right. in the pro bowl. And the way that the star players turned down the pro bowl situation, like, that does not matter to me anymore. Um, it does speak volumes to what Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy have done from a synchronizing what they need to input. Because the quarterback is such a circumstantial position. Like, when you think about if you put a quarterback in a system, or you put him in a different system, what's the success there? Like, if the Bears had Patrick Mahomes, do you think the of level course. of success is still there? You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. No, look, let's, let's just look yeah. at the comp that everyone compares the Bears to in uh, the Los Angeles Rams. The difference in Jared Goff's one year under Jeff Fisher versus what he's accomplished with Sean McVay. It's, 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 it's beyond night and day. Jared Goff now is, you know, thought of as a Pro Bowl quarterback across the league and someone you want to build your team around simply because he's in Sean McVay's offense. You're right. It's a lot of it is about the situation that a player is put in. Thanks for the call, Harding. Uh, Matt Nagy and the offense that he has created for Mitchell Trubisky has set him up for success. And I need to see more success in year two uh, in year two under Nagy for Trubisky than uh, just what we've seen last year. What he did last year was nice, but it's not going to cut it. All right, I mentioned earlier that uh, the Bears' second all-time leading scorer, Butthead, as he's affectionately known, Kevin Butler, Super Bowl champion, joined Waddle and Sylvie yesterday and talked about what is clearly, I mentioned running back being a huge hole for the Bears as they entered the draft, and thus why Ryan Pace felt the need to trade up for the guy that he coveted in David Montgomery. Well, even though running back was clearly a need, I don't think anybody will deny that the kicking situation 
is the real issue for the Bears. And Kevin Butler talked about why this is not necessarily a great spot to try and develop your kicker. Well, I think they're trying to do it, uh, you know, on their own. And what I mean by that, they want to develop kickers. And I don't think Chicago is that kind of place where you want to develop kickers. You know, I was lucky enough to be there for a while. Bob Thomas was before me, and and certainly Robbie did after me. And I think it's something that you have to have that mindset. A coach has to understand that, you know, some days it's really going to be out of their control. The, The conditions can get tough, and uh, all of a sudden, you're you know you think you can go out and get better. Uh, you know I think in those positions nowadays, with uh, the demand for performance being so high, that if you can go out and you can get somebody that's proven that has a track record that has that mental stability uh, to kind of weather a bad kick here and there and and bounce back, um, you know it's really hard to put a price on that because it's really going to equate into a win or a loss. And you know how valuable those are to owners. Butler added more about why he thinks uh, a veteran kicker is the right way for the Bears to go. You know, you, you go out there and you're evaluating so much more at other positions. Uh, you know, kicking is really a position that um, if you're having trouble, and I don't mean it, you know, Snide, if you're having trouble figuring out which one's better, you, you really should bring an expert in and, and at least help you evaluate. I think that's something that, you know, you can get from people that have been through it. Um, you know, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about why don't they bring Robbie back? Well, that's the logical question. You right. know, why wouldn't you? But, right. you know, I've always said it to Robbie, you know, be careful what you wish for sometimes because, you know, it's not easy to kick there. It's certainly not easy to kick in San Francisco, but he's he's found a situation out there where he's been as good as there is. Now, can you duplicate that by coming back to Chicago? Um, I don't know. It's it's a scary thing to mess with your legacy as a kicker. I, I've seen it done with other people at other positions, and you know, you ask them about five years later after retirement, and they say, you know, I wish I'd have never done it. Um, <laughs> um, because you know, it, 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 even though it seems like the perfect place, there's a reason why you're not there, um, and there's a reason why you had great success when you were there. I find it interesting that uh, Butler, who seems to be in some ways advocating for the Bears to go after a veteran kicker who's proven that he's done it before, uh, is also telling Robbie Gold that, you know, the grass is not always greener on the other side. Uh, the Cap also mentioned earlier today that uh, he had heard from folks at Hell's Hall that uh, Robbie Gold not necessarily welcome back, uh, perhaps stemming from comments that he made in 2011, amidst a, an NFL lockout, you'll recall that Robbie Gold was the Bears player rep, and uh, he gave an interview, and he teed off on owners across the NFL as the players were being locked out, and apparently one such quote from Robbie Gold in 2011 When was the last time a fan clicked on the television to see Virginia McCaskey, Jerry Jones, or Dan Snyder? No one watches those guys. The product is the players. Now, apparently, that that quote did not fall on deaf ears. The Bears, or at least per cap, some folks at Hallis Hall have not forgotten that. And even though Robbie Gold seems to be the perfect fit, if... He can extract himself out of the 
San Francisco situation, which, which he's trying to do, he may not necessarily be welcomed back to the Bears organiza- organization with open arms. It's the neat. only thing about like that comment to me that seems like it would bother someone, because he's right. Like Clearly, who is doing that? The only thing that would be bothersome if I were Virginia or George McCassie is that you put me in the same group as Daniel Snyder. If you're comparing me to Daniel Snyder, then we have a problem because he's the worst owner in, in football, if not sports. Yeah, no, I, look, I'm not going to try and read, you know, ownership's mind. Again, it was, I'm just quoting, you know, what Cap discussed earlier today on Cap and Company. But, uh, you know, if that's, if that's, if that is bothersome, that, uh, it, it's interesting because we all, it seems to be the narrative across the city that if, the 49ers do rescind the franchise tag. Robbie Gold could easily land with the Bears, but it may not be without some red tape. So we shall see how that plays out. I'm Jeff Meller in for Jonathan Hood here on Under the Hood. Coming up next, we've got some NBA playoff action that's taking place. And uh, Charles Barkley irked Shaq last night. Yet again, we'll let you hear it next right here on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Meller on the mic tonight here for Hoodie filling in. Everybody loves Inside the NBA. Think widely regarded as the best pre and post game show across sports. And last night on TNT, without fail, Shaq got upset with Charles Barkley because uh, Charles Barkley didn't follow the old uh, protocol, the format, if you will. He didn't go Barkley, Kenny Smith, and let Shaq react. It was Barkley, Smith, and then Chuck jumps in and responds to Kenny Smith, and Shaq was none too pleased. What nine minutes? You're going to take up eight minutes and beat me a damn self. Mr. Sensitive. No, I ain't no Mr. Sensitive. Do it again. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> don't you want to weigh in on this? No, game, I don't want to weigh in. No. Don't, no. Don't, don't do it. Don't do it, Shaq. Yeah. You know what I'm Mr. Sensitive. No, I ain't sensitive. I'm going to knock your ass out. Of <laughs> I'm telling you right now. You play with me if you want to. It's supposed to be one, two, three, not one, two, back to one. It's a dumbass. <laughs> do it again, Chuck. Oh, man. Yo, dude. I'm you, gonna be hey, some hey, 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 so Chuck. You repeat yourself. Who, who was a better player yesterday? Who was a better high school Kenny, player? Kenny, I ain't in the mood. It's supposed to be one, two, three, three, not one, two, back. I'm, I'm, I'm not okay, saying I'm no jokes. Okay. I'm not saying no right. jokes, man. That's funny. That's him, man. That's all him. That's funny. That's him, man. Let's get it. Kenny, why don't you go ahead and say what you're going to say? I'm going to throw this out. <laughs> I'm thinking fun. I'm gonna throw this metal, metal oh, damn can at your ass. Oh man! Nah, See, no. yo, he's been getting on Shaq all night. That's what it is. No, Kenny, you started messing with him in the back. No, I didn't. You started with the whole. No, you said you started with the back. You started with it. The Felipe Lopez. No, you said Felipe. You said Kenny Shaq. Didn't Kenny make you mad early tonight? He said Felipe Lopez was a better player than you. Let a high school player because we watched it thirty for thirty. Yeah, he said that. He's like he people take at home know me that I ain't playing right now. I ain't playing right now. The best is sometimes even when you're having a hard time understanding what they're talking about, the the snorting and laughing is contagious and you can't help but smile. Inside the NBA TNT, of course, with the highlights. All right, coming up next, more football. Maybe go around the league a little bit with Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports and ask him 
who had the best draft, in his opinion? Right here on ESPN 1000. Yo, it's the Southside's own Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Blast. So Jepenny chased and dropped the chef Smith. Roquan Smith, he's the highlight show of this defense. In the ring, Steamboat's got him up. A slam. But Larry, he's not paid to work too. He did it. He And there it goes. A you massacres this ball to left center field. The Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Boys, you're going to have to uh, update the Under the Hood open. you got to throw in some Riley Ridley highlights now that we got a George, another Georgia Bulldog on the Chicago Bears. I'm Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood, the Bulldog fan. And we have been talking a lot about the NFL draft, the Bears in particular, this evening with a little bit of NBA playoffs sprinkled in as well. Right now, though, it's my pleasure to bring in Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports. And Eric, I'll set it up for you. I was asking the question, Ryan, po- Ryan Pace's draft strategy, the approach, the idea that he's never afraid to trade up for a player. Now, is this foolish or brilliant? In particular... When you're trading up in the third round for the always fungible position that is running back. Eric, what say you, foolish or brilliant? Well, I think you have to make exceptions to the rule. And I understand that, you know, the the people say the running back position is somewhat meaningless. I I don't necessarily agree, but but I understand that teams have had success finding them in lower rounds. Undrafted guys, you know players on their second team, you know, I mean, there's, there's plenty of examples across the board, but if you have your coaching staff and your scouting staff in line, in lockstep on a player, you know, that you feel is, A, a perfect fit for your system, and that, oh, by the way, in the case of David Montgomery, B, outstanding character, you know, mm-hmm. with, for all the talk that, uh, that was going on with Kareem Hunt, maybe they'd sign him, they kicked the idea around, they... You know, they they trial balloon the whole thing. That didn't go over well, and I think they realized that we're getting a reasonable facsimile of that player. And here's a kid who's an Eagle Scout, who's you know organized his own charities, who was a team captain for two years. I mean, just you know, then in, in those cases, you can make exceptions because it's a twelve and four football team that had four one score losses. You know, I I mean that's I think they view it as. One more piece can take this team to a, to a new level. And most importantly, Eric, it seemed like the logical step when a lot of Bears fans who maybe were having a hard time grasping why they would trade Jordan Howard, even though, you know, with everything 
that they were showing you by their actions that he wasn't the perfect fit in Matt Nagy's offense. It seems like the logical conclusion to add a player with, as you mentioned, some similarities to Kareem Hunt on the field. So what do you think... You know, David Montgomery in all likelihood steps in and sees a sim- similar workload to what Kareem Hunt saw is his, in his rookie season with the Chiefs. Yeah, I mean, that's asking a lot, but it wouldn't stun me. And obviously, you got to find work for, you know, for Kirk Tr- Tree Cohen, and obviously, he'll be busy on special teams. He'll catch a lot of passes, so I don't think he's going anywhere. He's essentially like a slot receiver in some ways, too. You could put them both on the field, too, I think. And, you know, Pick, pick your poison defense. You know what? Do you, how are you going to defend this? So, they, you know, obviously there are ways to to keep everybody happy, feed all the mouths. You bring in Mike Davis; he'll be there as a you know power component, a short yardage guy, that sort of thing, a physical runner who can help wear down opposing defenses and stuff. But yeah, I think it's fair to say that you know the carries that they took away from Jordan Howard, you know, and gave to people like Tyquan Mizell last year. You know, that, I don't think that's going to happen. I think Montgomery's going to be an instant impact guy. And, you know, Howard still got 250 carries last year. You know, he caught a few passes as well. So he was pretty busy. He just didn't do a lot with it. And I think they feel like, you know, Montgomery, the fit, the short area quickness, the, I mean, the jump cuts, the, sh- you know, the shifty. He's also 220 pounds, too, and can push shoulder down. So uh, a different style of runner than Howard, even though maybe similar builds. I, I think it's the right move, and even if they didn't get much in return for, for Jordan. Eric Edholm, Yahoo Sports NFL Draft expert, joining us here on ESPN 1000. Part of the reason I, I throw it out there as either foolish or brilliant, Eric, I, like part of the I'm of two minds because I, like, I don't like the idea that you go ahead and give up future draft picks in the third round for the running back position. But part of me says, you know what? If you try and get inside Ryan Pace's mind, and I'm not saying this is his, his motives per se, but if it were, if he's treating it like, you know what? Nobody's promised tomorrow as an NFL GM. You never know when your time's going to be up. And you know sure. what? Just like, you know, uh, a college kid opening up a credit card with the idea that maybe I don't have to pay off that debt. Maybe it's my, not, it's not my debt to pay off in the future. It's, it's an interesting philosophy if that's actually the way he's thinking about it. I don't know for sure if it is, but you know, you look at him, you know, going up and getting, Mitchell Trubisky moving up one spot, going after Khalil Mack because he was available and saying, you know what, be, uh, the future be damned, I'm trying to win today. You know, it should more GMs maybe approach it that way because, hey, you know what, I don't know if I'll be the guy who has to worry about not picking in the first round a couple of years from now. And yeah, and, you know, general managers not only have a shorter leash these days, you know, it used to be that job you kind of got eight or ten years it felt like now you know head coaches used to get three four five you know now head coaches can be fired after one year we saw it last year with steve wilkes gms have a shorter leash now i mean you know, the owner gets bad or there's some sort of conflict or there's a coach who wants to have his own personnel guy boom the gm's out of it so yeah ryan pace would you know i mean again this is just how the league has kind of gone i'm not saying the guy's getting fired of course but yeah i mean shorter leash take your shot, you have an opportunity, go for it. And, you know, it's easy to say, and if you miss on those picks, well, it hurts more because you have fewer selections and all that. But I think Anthony Miller is going to end up being worth what they paid. I wasn't sure at the time, but I've seen him play now. And, and you know, he, he's good. And he's going to take a big step this coming year. So that'll pay off again. Khalil Mack's going to be great again. 
you know, I, I think Montgomery's worth the, the the price they paid. The question that I have is, is there depth on the offensive line? Do they have enough tight ends? Is there a third safety they like? What happens if a cornerback gets hurt? They got pretty lucky with injuries last year until the very end of the season. Now, I know Trubisky missed two games, but I know Eddie Jackson missed the playoff game. But, boy, you know, that, that depth wasn't really tested last year. And I kind of wonder. I think the starting lineup looks incredible. Mm-hmm. I wonder what the second team is going to look like, though. Uh, undeniable all the points you bring up. Eric at home of Yahoo Sports here on ESPN 1000. Of course, it's under the hood. Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood. So we have to ask you about the Georgia product, Riley Ridley. He of the uh, great bloodlines with as uh, Calvin Ridley's brother. What do you know about Riley? Quite a bit. I mean, he's a really talented kid. And another one that I thought was maybe even a better value than Montgomery in terms of Boy, I thought Ridley was going to get drafted somewhere around where Montgomery got drafted, and he ended up going, you know, what, 40, 50 picks later or whatever. So, super competitive player. You know, he plays bigger than his size. He's not huge, but he's got good length. The speed won't blow you away, but his brother's speed didn't either, and he was able to separate. He's very crafty in his routes, good strong hands, good, good blocker. He looks like a great future number two. And, you know, you think about, look, I mean, Allen Robinson, I think, is going to be clearly their number one. But there'll be a decision to make on him if he doesn't have a great season next year. And then one year after that, his contract runs out. So, you know, it's smart to back up those type of players, you know, protect your strengths, right? And that's that's a position that, you know, remember two or three years ago, we were talking about this being one of the worst units in the NFL by far. Now, arguably... They're as deep as anybody. Throw in Emmanuel Hall, the undrafted uh, free agent. I thought he'd be a third. I thought he'd be a fourth round pick. But still, the point is, they've gotten great value at those at those spots. And all of a sudden, all the toys that, that Mitch can can handle. So that's 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 great accumulation at a position that was an absolute dire shape a couple years ago. Now, there's no doubt that Kyler Murray was the most buzzworthy draft prospect in this draft, and rightfully so. But I wonder, are we going to look back at this draft and the way the Arizona Cardinals handled the Josh Rosen situation and say to ourselves, boy, the Miami Dolphins, they pulled off a steal by obtaining him for a late-round second? Yeah, I mean, I I think the move to get him was well worth it. I'm surprised by two things. One, that there weren't really more teams interested. You know, this is a player who did go in the top 10 a year ago. Cardinals traded up to that number 10 spot to grab him. You know, I had some teams tell me they had him as their number two or three quarterback on the board. Not everybody had Baker number one, by the way. Uh, some like Sam Darnold better. Some had, uh, you know, Baker second or third on the list. So, you know, this is a player who was being discussed as a possible number two or three selection in the draft last year. He ended up going 10th. And it seemed like a year later he was damaged good. Why? Because he played on this horrific offense that fired its offensive coordinator midseason and his head coach a month later. I mean, it, I didn't understand why he was considered such a depreciated asset. And for them to get him in a swap of picks and, you know, basically turn it in, you know, it was like a late second-round pick. So it's so worth it. They haven't, they're not going to spend any money on him. He's going to make two, $2.5 this year. That's low-end backup money. That's, that's great. It's a free look at a potential franchise quarterback. So, yeah, how the Arizona Cardinals handled it started with them not making Rosen available earlier. I don't get it. 
Why? To keep up the mystery of whether you're going to take Kyler number one? For what? They didn't gain anything. They just got the player they wanted. I mean, put them on the block the day that the, you know, end the mystery early, and maybe they would have gotten more in return for him. Yeah, I, I cannot agree with you more. It's stunning the way that worked out, that just a year later, uh, you know, yeah. Josh Rosen's uh, value has plummeted that much. All the points you made in that offense where he never really had a chance with that offensive line, just kind of amazing. And, and just uh, the crazy thing, like you said, I, you cannot believe more teams would not have been interested. Maybe not just a, who cares even if he, he's going to be your franchise quarterback. At a second-round pick, a late second-rounder at that point, you would think other teams like the Patriots might even be saying, you know what, let's let's just throw our hat in the ring and see what he brings right. to the table. I mean, unless yeah, New England had extra picks, right? I mean, Brian Hoyer. You're telling me he can't be better than Hoyer? I mean, I I am 100 percent with you. And I thought like the Chargers, the Patriots, teams that you know, maybe even the Saints. Like if they'd have thrown next year's number yeah. two at him, I just I didn't get it. I, it seems really surprising that there weren't more teams uh, vying for a service. Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports joining us here on Under the Hood. Jeff Meller filling in for Hoodie tonight. You mentioned Baker Mayfield. Of course, the Browns did not have a first-round pick this year, but they obtained Odell Beckham Jr., and that's something that has Cleveland Browns fans completely psyched. When you look at the AFC North right now, Eric, I, I'm look, I don't think it's it's not a hot take at all to say I think the Browns, they have to be... I know the Ravens went last year, but with Lamar Jackson, I'm picking the Browns to win the win the AFC North. Are you with me? Yeah, I, I might be. You know, I still want to give it some time because I'm one of those those slow operators. But sure. you know, of course, I just graded the 2019 draft like two days ago. But still, you know, work with me on this one here. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think they're going to be a lot of people's favorites, and, and for good reason. I mean, you know, all the defensive talent, even with trading Julia, uh, you know, Jabril Peppers away. You know, the, the offensive firepower they could have with Nick Chubb. And, oh, by the way, Kareem Hunt comes into action after eight weeks if he stays in line. You know, Baker Mayfield, we saw some great stuff from him. You know, Landry Beckham, David Njoku, and then all those guys on defense, too. So, I will say this. Freddie Kitchens, you know, he's the new head coach who I would say – 90% of the NFL-watching fans out there had no idea who this guy was six months ago. He's a great story. Uh, I love him. He's a fun guy to cover. Is he going to be able to manage all those complex personalities? Because that's a part of it. And I really think that's an underrated part of it. It was, ah, so just X and O's, roll out the ball. No, I mean, you've got to be able to make this work. The Giants got rid of Odell for, you know, less than he was worth. He and Jarvis Landry together, I know they're buddies, but are they going to create a uh, kind of a rift or a faction at all? What if things don't go as well for Baker right away? I mean, it's just a lot to handle, but talent-wise, they look great. No doubt about it. Uh, it'll be an interesting watch for sure. Uh, you, So I'm looking at uh, a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. Everybody's yeah. darling. No doubt uh, Super Bowl favorites in a lot of places, but they've got the Tyreek Hill situation lurking and hanging above their head. And as you mentioned, Kareem Hunt now on the Browns because he was released. How does, I mean, it, it, I, I would be more, I think I would be more surprised right now if Tyreek Hill suits up for the Chiefs again than doesn't. And without, if he's not on the roster, I mean, Pat Mahomes is great, but the, I mean, Tyreek Hill is an absolute difference maker on the field. 
No doubt about it. No question. I mean, he's he's been spectacular when he's been out there, and yet, you know, I mean, if, I think if the Chiefs come to their senses and can verify, you know, the, the, this information and, and find out that, yes, it was his voice on that tape, and yes, he was, you know, responsible for threatening the woman, threatening the child, doing anything of that ilk, then they have to, they have to pull the cord. I think they have to just say, none of this commissioner's exempt list, they have to send a message. Because, you know, it's not just that, they took, you know, they had the Kareem Hunt situation. They, that set a precedent. Not just that, they just brought in Frank Clark too at a prior uh, domestic dispute in his past too. You know, so it, it almost seems like they're kind of playing fast and loose with it a little bit. And you know, I, I think it's gonna, yeah, wins are great, Super Bowls outstanding, but I, I think you're gonna lose some people and it makes some people real angry with the way that they're kind of allowing this to happen if they keep Hill, you know, if they, if they bring in more players with serious character questions and, you know, in some cases convictions or things like that in their past. So they did just draft a kid in the second round, Nicole Hardman, that was a teammate of Ridley's of Georgia, who's, I mean, he's not Hill yet, but he's got that kind of ability. You know, they have made a lot of additions on defense. Mahomes has another year of experience. You know, they're a well-coached team defensively. I think they should be better, but... There's still questions about this team, no doubt. But back to Hill, I, I tend to think that, that his, his time with that team is, is relatively short. Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports here on ESPN 1000. You mentioned that uh, you know, you're a guy who dra- uh, grades the draft immediately after it's over for the most part. Because, look, that's what, uh, that's what uh, the content cravers out there want. Everybody sucks sure. it up. But the reality is, too, you're not, uh, you're not oblivious to the fact that sometimes that is a bit of a fool's errand the day after. And you even brought it up uh, and did an article about going back to the 2016 NFL draft, ga- draft grades the day after. Uh, what's the and, and I read through it, but I'll let you share with some of our listeners so they can go check out the whole thing themselves. But what's uh, maybe one of the most enlightening things you discovered going back and looking at your draft grades from 2016 the day after? Yeah, apparently I'm a masochist there because I would I thought, all right, you know, I put my 2019 grades out and all these people on Twitter were all in an uproar. You can't grade a draft. Yeah, that's true. This will also be one of the most clicked on stories I write this year. But there's some truth to what you're saying. So I said, all right, for you guys out there, I'm going to go back and look at my draft grades from three years ago. You know, and I knew I was going to have some big misses. I knew I was going to have a couple of pretty good hits, too. But I didn't realize how badly I missed on that draft. That was a bad draft. But. I convinced myself there were, oh, I don't know, nine or ten future Hall of Famers in that group. And uh, looking back at some of my takes is, uh, was a little embarrassing. But I'll tell you what, I had fun with it. But more than that, I mean, I kind of used it as a sort of a tool to teach myself, all right, where did I miss with this guy? How did I get this one wrong? What, was, what didn't happen for this player? Was he in a bad situation? Can he, you know, what, was there an injury? What was the deal? How did I miss on this evaluation? So... What started out as kind of a cute, clever column making fun of myself ended up being a pretty good little teaching tool. So, I don't know. I enjoyed writing it. People enjoyed reading it, you know, sort of having me uh, be on the skewer for a little bit. And and that's all right, man. you got to take a couple L's every now and then. Check it out on Yahoo Sports. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Edholm. Eric, thanks for joining me this evening. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good night, man. All right. That's Eric Edholm again of Yahoo Sports. I am Jeff Meller filling in for Jonathan Hood here on ESPN 1000. And we talked about the Browns there. And 
they are the one team around the league when I'm not focusing on the Bears that, look, I don't think I'm alone here by saying that they are really interesting. And the trade for Odell Beckham, the addition of Kareem Hunt, despite what the video showed, like, Talent-wise, it's undeniable adding him to a backfield that already has Nick Chubb in it, you know, with other guys like Jarvis Landry, David Njoku, and Baker Mayfield, who everyone's excited about. I mean, there's a reason that they're an interesting story for once. And Peter King joined Waddle and Sylvie and talked about the buzz surrounding the Browns. You know, the Cleveland Browns have been resuscitated and reborn before our very eyes. I mean, let's go back to the last Sunday of the football season where, you know, in a game where they weren't really playing for anything, you know, and the Ravens were, they came very, very close to knocking the Ravens out. Uh, And then they followed it in the offseason by making at least, from what it appears, they appear to have made all the right moves. And you don't often see the Cleveland Browns do this in any of our lifetimes. So I think the Browns, and then going out uh, and being, uh, you know, last week I sat in with the the guys who make the NFL schedule uh, in New York uh, and listened to how, you know, I, I mean, how crazy does this sound? Listen to how ESPN, right from the start, wanted two Monday. The Cleveland Browns were, were their team. They wanted two Cleveland Browns games on their schedule this year. <laughs> uh, NBC wanted a game, a home game, early in the season to capitalize on the Cleveland Browns fever. And so <clears throat> they get week three at home, Sunday night, against the NFC champion Rams. Uh, just, and, and, and just listening to all these, not only the networks, but all these people just sort of froth over the Browns and uh, over Odell and all that other stuff, I think their story is going to be a great one. And apparently I'm not the only one who's frothing at the mouth to see the Cleveland Browns. The Week 3 home game against the Rams also... They will appear a week two at the New York Jets on Monday Night Football. And then again in week five, they will be visiting the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. So uh, you're going to get an, an eyeful of Cleveland Browns football in prime time three times in the first five weeks of the NFL season. So uh, my guess is that uh, you will have a very good idea of just how exciting the Browns will be with your first-hand look if you're a football fan. All right, the Cubs game goes final. Cubs thump the Seattle Mariners 11 to nothing, and we will be talking about it with you, 312-332-3776, if you want to discuss yet another series win for the Chicago Cubs, who, look, since the poor 2-7 and seven start, they have really turned it around. They're now 13-5 and five in their last 18 games, and they are uh, just mowing right along here with uh, no signs of stopping. So, uh, Cubs fans, 312-332-3776, if you'd like to talk about tonight's game. You know what? Javi Baez homered. Is he in line for a long-term extension? Our MLB expert tells us next here on ESPN 1000. 
Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Baez, first pitch swinging, high and deep, and it'll go! One to nothing in the second. Well, we've seen him do this a number of times this year. Ambush that first pitch fastball, and again, uh, shooting the ball to the big part of the yard. He's in a number of his home runs. Most of his home runs have been right, right, central. The Cubs did win this evening in Seattle, completing their two-game sweep of the Seattle Mariners, improving to 15-12. and 12. That highlight you heard there, Javi Baez's 10th home run of the year, courtesy of WGN. And look, it's all they needed. It's all the offense the Cubs needed tonight, as John Lester was absolutely brilliant. Seven innings of one-hit ball. And Alan Webster and Dylan Maples came on to uh, throw two more scoreless, hitless innings. And the Cubs throw a combined one hitter, strike out 12, and only walk one. Really holding down a Seattle Mariners team and offense that has been scuffling of late after just a, a, a ridiculously hot start. So the Cubs go to Seattle and find themselves... Now 15 and 12 as they come back home and to take on the St. Louis Cardinals. So the first place St. Louis Cardinals. So that sets up a big season here in early May as the Cubs again win 11 to nothing. I am Jeff Meller here for Jonathan Hood on ESPN 1000. Also mentioned that the White Sox currently leading the Baltimore Orioles two to one in the bottom of the third in the second of a second game of a double header. The Orioles took the first game five to four over at Guaranteed Rate Field. And so I mentioned as uh, we come in with the Javier Baez homer that Javi Baez has been picking up basically just where he left off last season as an MVP caliber player for the Cubs. And uh, the question really is, you know, should the Cubs be discussing a contract extension with not just their superstar player, but Chris Bryant's got the MVP pedigree. Anthony Rizzo wears the, the, the leadership crown amongst the Cubs. John Lester is the, the old hoss, the veteran starting pitcher who is the leader in the clubhouse. But I don't think, I think it's undeniable that Javier Baez is box office. He is the, I don't think, despite what Mike Trout does on a day-in and day-out basis, despite what Bryce Harper brings, his flair for the dramatic, I don't think there is a player around baseball whose highlights are more fun to watch than what Javi Baez provides for the Cubs and all of baseball and uh, Jeff Passan, who joins both Waddle and Sylvie and Cap and uh, Carmen Yerko. He joins both shows frequently throughout the week. Uh, Jeff Passan discussed with Waddle and Sylvie the other day what a Javier Baez long-term deal would look like. I think it depends on when it happens. 
because if you go and look back historically, Javier Baez right now, uh, let's just get this out of the way. Well, we look at contract extensions, the most important thing to consider is not the number of years, it's not the amount of money, it's when the deals are coming with regards to a player's service time clock. And coming into the season, Javier Baez was what's called a three-plus player. He has three years and I think almost 90 days or so of service. Now, when you hit six full years, that's when you get free agency, after the season in which you've hit your sixth full year. And so uh, if you look back historically at contracts that are signed as three-plus players, there's not a whole lot there in terms of players similar comp to Javi Baez. You know, the closest thing and the biggest deal that I've I've seen in my research on this is Kyle Seeger at, at $100 million for seven years or Elvis Andrews at $120 million for eight years. Um, Javi Baez is better than Kyle Seeger and better than Elvis Andrews. And and you almost wonder if it ends up being more like a Freddie Freeman type deal. And Freddie Freeman signed for $135 million for eight years. Now, if Javier Baez were to wait a little while, you know, Evan Longoria signed as a four plus signed a, a six year, hundred million dollar deal. Uh, and, and this is when we get into the really big contracts. Giancarlo Stanton signed his 13 for 325. Uh, Joey Votto signed 10 for 225. I don't see the Cubs going up into that territory, but I think we're probably talking uh, somewhere in the vicinity of a six to eight year deal for somewhere between 150 and 200 million dollars. So that's a monster deal, no matter what way you slice it. But there's also a lot of discussion about Chris Bryant's long term future with the Cubs because he's the comp that a lot of people were making when they saw Nolan Arenado and guys like Paul Goldschmidt sign uh, long-term extensions with their current teams. So uh, the guys, Waddle and Sylvie, uh, I believe uh, Jeff Dickerson was filling in for Sylvie that day, followed up by asking uh, Jeff if who his preference would be in giving a long-term deal to Javier Baez or Chris Bryant. I love Javi Baez because I believe he is going to age better in terms of defense. I think he's going to be a middle infielder for the next 10 seasons. And I think you can shift him over to third base as well if that lateral movement uh, falls off for some reason or another. I still think Chris Bryant's a better hitter. And and I understand that Javi Baez has three times as many home runs this year and that Javi Baez's on-base percentage is actually higher than Chris Bryant's right now. But I believe in Bryant's bat long-term because Bryant takes walks and Baez doesn't. And I, I know that Baez's eye is, is something that I have been critical of him for since you know he was in the minor leagues, wondering just how good a player he can be. Clearly, he's a star. And, and clearly, even with that eye and with that walk rate, that's as low as it is. He has managed to become a star caliber player. Uh, in the long run, though, I'm buying Bryant's bat and buying Bryant's uh, glove over Baez. Uh, and, and, and I, I think that's probably, I'm probably in the minority there at this point. I also think that Baez is going to come cheaper than Bryant. And that's, that's a big, big part of this. Why I think the answer to this is I would sign Baez, but I would probably prefer Brian. It's interesting that Jeff 
mentioned that he, Jeff Passan, mentioned that he thinks he's probably in the minority when he would prefer Chris Bryant to Javier Baez if he had to choose one in making a long-term extension with. Because I don't necessarily agree with that. I would say, if anything, maybe he's in the minority, but part of that minority that probably shares that same opinion would be the Cubs front office and Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. Because I believe that what he mentioned, the fact that Javier Baez at this stage of his career is who he is and doesn't take walks, he is he's aggressive with the swings he, he takes, and he does a great job of attacking balls that he can hit. But there is no denying that his on-base percentage in the day and age when on-base percentage is something everybody looks at is still 341 this year. And last year was simply 326, which is okay and is something he can get away with playing shortstop as well as he does. He's still a huge value at that on-base percentage when he's a middle infielder. like It's undeniable. But the reality is I do think... That, like Jeff, Theo and Jed probably share the same opinion that, you know what, if we're going to invest long term with some mega bucks, we want to do so with the guy who is a selective hitter. And Chris Bryant is that selective hitter and Javier Baez is not. And so even though he said he thinks he's probably in the minority, I think he's only in that minority because Javier Baez is so much fun. But the reality is, I don't think Theo and Jed, even though they love watching him on day out, day in and day out basis, it's not about fun. It's about winning. And Chris Bryant adds a little more value when it comes to winning than Javier Baez does. And if you had to make the choice between one or the other, not saying the Cubs do, because look, Tom Ricketts can open up the purse strings and certainly sign both. But if push comes to shove and you have to choose, I think Theo and Jed also, like Jeff Passan, choose Chris Bryant over Javier Baez because one is selective at the plate and the other is not. Speaking of Theo, he talked about a fireable offense. Is somebody in the Cubs doing something that they could be fired for? We'll let Theo explain next here on ESPN 1000. Under the Hood with Jonathan Hood. Weeknights on ESPN 1000 and the ESPN app. Jeff Meller in for Jonathan Hood this evening here on ESPN 1000 inside our beautiful first Midwest Bank studio. All right, so I told you that Theo Epstein responded to a tweet a tweet from Sunday, courtesy of Cheryl Ring. She writes for Fangraphs. She does excellent work. And Cheryl Ring tweeted on Sunday, quote, So the Cubs are making a concerted effort to control the narrative with regards to Addison Russell. They're approving positive, quote, redemption stories and in private going after those commentators who are critical of Russell and the Cubs, the Cubs approach. She followed that up. I spoke to one media member who told me they were privately instructed by the Cubs to lay off Russell and threatened with reprisal if they didn't. And Theo Epstein went on the record yesterday and uh, Jesse Rogers obviously was there asking him about uh, 
Edison Russell in general. And uh, Theo followed up with some thoughts. So here's Jesse's question first. This sounds like purely a baseball decision. If he had been injured and only could play seven games in the minors. Yeah, this is a baseball decision. I know, you know, there are other issues involved, and you guys might have questions on that, and I'd be happy to answer them. Um, <laughs> as I've been the entire tell us what no, to write. No, yeah. it's honestly, like I would, if you have other questions, I'd be happy to answer them, and I've been happy to answer the whole time. And however you guys want to cover the story, you know, if you want to write uh, uh, critical articles about Addison or about the club's handling, you're, you're more than welcome to. You know, I think we, we seriously, we we believe in the freedom of the press and. And this is certainly an issue where um, we expect there to be strong opinions um, and, and uh, people have the right to have those opinions and to express them however we want. We just support that. And, you know, we would never, never try to stifle um, freedom of the press or that type of, that type of free expression. So, it, you know, I saw that, that story out there. I'm not, I'm not calling it into question other than to say that um, you know, the threat of reprisal um, to a media member about any topic, but especially one of this nature, is not acceptable. And um, I'd be I'd be really surprised if that happened at the Cubs. And if it did, I'd want to know who it was because they they wouldn't work for the Cubs much longer. I mean, that, that they would that's a fireable offense to try to um, you know, threaten a media member because of unfavorable coverage, especially on a topic this nature. So I just wanted to get that on the record because we haven't necessarily been asked about it, but that's a pretty serious allegation. Again, I'm not I'm not calling it into into question per se. I just want to make it clear that that's not that would not be acceptable behavior. That would be a fireable offense and if anyone wants to mention by name the person who who did that, there would obviously be repercussions right away. Theo Epstein, base uh, Cubs baseball or president of baseball operations there with some strong words in regards to Cheryl Ring's tweets. And I would say that he's thrown down the gauntlet and welcomed people to name names if it actually is happening. So again, he's not completely dismissing it going on without his knowledge, but uh, strong words saying that it would be a fireable offense if uh, others want to bring a name to light to him and the Cubs front office. That's it for us. I'm Jeff Meller. Thanks for listening, folks. Uh, Had a pleasure filling in for Jonathan Hood with you every weekday starting at 7 o'clock. Thanks to my guys behind the glass, Eric Ostrowski and Felix Reyes. Don't go anywhere because we've got plenty more sports talk for you. Again, if you want to follow me, it's at Jeff underscore Meller on Twitter. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later.